Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. To any first time listeners, as always, I highly recommend you take a moment to jump back to the intro of the project. It should be listed as a trailer for the show at the bottom of the list of episodes in your podcast player. It's only about seven minutes long and provides some pretty important context about the nature of this show, its aims, and how it differs from most. So again, I advise you starting there so that the premise of this project isn't totally lost on you. One final update. I will begin trying to incorporate the audience's questions into episodes, both for recordings with recurring guests as well as solo Ask Me Anything episodes. So if there's anything you'd like to hear discussed or you'd like me to speak to specifically, please do give us a follow on Instagram or Twitter and send your questions. The audience isn't huge here, so there's a good chance your questions or topics will be featured. If you have anything at all, don't hesitate. I'd love to hear from you. And on that note, thanks for giving this a shot. And I hope you enjoy the episode. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. The past is just a story we tell ourselves. to Imposters Anonymous. John Eric, happy to have you here. How are you doing today? Good. I'm doing great. It's been a nice, restful weekend. Uh, so, hey, what is it, Sunday today? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Sunday. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, getting ready to get pushed back into the into the work week, but uh, excited to be here today. I'm sitting down sitting down with you, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any any rituals typically to to start your days? Are, are you sort of a, a habitual kind of person? I am habitual. I I need that routine. Yeah. So, um, uh, love having a hot beverage in the morning. Uh, it's typically coffee, uh, but not mm-hmm. always. And you know, I used to think it was for the caffeine, and it probably still is. But I also recently learned that. A lot of the times why we enjoy beverages in the morning, uh, mm. like before even like breakfast, right. is the warm the warmth of it, like a hot mm-hmm. beverage. Um, right. It like gets our core temperature raised because I think typically mm. our core temperature is a lot cooler when we're sleeping. So that right. was a cool thing I learned recently. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm not addicted to caffeine. Maybe I'm just... <laughs> but, yeah, especially this time of year. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that, um, I'm a meditator. So I, I also uh, meditate twice a day, um, and it's just a great way to uh, move through transitions uh, mm-hmm. throughout our day, throughout our lives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, and it, it is an interesting, an interesting idea because for a while I don't actually do it anymore. But I used to work a job where I had to get up very early in the morning, and I'm, I'm not a, a coffee drinker anymore, and I, I don't really tend to do caffeine either uh, for, for some other reasons that honestly aren't super relevant to this conversation. But yeah, I had some complications and I just couldn't do caffeine anymore. And so I would just drink like hot water. Like I would, I would just get like a thermos of, of hot water and it really did help. And when I was having to get up super early and I just needed something to 
sort of simulate that experience. But I, I did feel like it gave me some energy. I don't know if it's just a placebo or, or what, but I do feel like there was something there just to just for it to be hot and and for for, for it to be a source of, of comfort and energy in the morning was definitely nice. Yes, that's the ancient tradition. Before we could even extract caffeine to the levels that we consume it now, we could mm. only get it in small doses, and we had to do mm. it by heating, you know, heating our our tea leaves or whatnot. Right. But yeah, I think I think yeah, hot beverage is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So how uh, how's twenty twenty two treating you so far? Is is there anything new for you? Any any significant intentions or changes for you in this year? Yeah, you know, Brandon, I, I have still yet to like sit down and bust out my intentions for the year. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if I'm like trying to actively avoid it or if it's just been a, uh, a rush into the new year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's been interesting to sort of track and be like, huh, okay, like let's not, let's not, um, rush into something if it doesn't feel right, but also like, yeah, typically I'm, you know, in the new year, I'm, I'm starting to think about like how things went the year before and, mm-hmm. um, what, what worked, what didn't and, um, how I'm going to, um, stage things for this new year. And, you know, I should use this as an opportunity actually to really reflect on that. And, um, kind of the first thought that's coming to me right now is like, I think I'm, I think despite everything that happened in 2021, you know, sort of collectively around us, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going pretty steady and um, I'm taking the things that I put forth uh, and set around like midsummer 2021. Yeah. And I'm just holding strong to those, uh, those things. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm a, I'm a runner, uh, long distance runner, ultra runner. And oh, okay, cool. I had a great season last year and, uh, I've already sort of pushed forward with a calendar set of races this year that I'm looking forward to and just keeping the training up. Gotcha. Uh, and is that like, just to be clear, is that like a hundred miles? Am I, am I right about that or? Well, is that... you you would be right, but I I personally have not obtained that distance. Oh, okay, and, I got you. And it's it's eventually going to happen. Uh, my friends are always pushing me to be like, "You're ready, you're ready." Um, <laughs> but I like to be, I like to be. Uh, I, I've been running since I was a little kid, and I've always been sort of a conservative runner. I do mm. it at my own. Um, pace and that seems to work really well for me in terms of injury prevention and not getting right. too like wrapped up in the sport um in the competition so mm-hmm. i've got a 70 miler uh planned for this this year and that will be my longest distance mm-hmm. gotcha yeah yeah that's interesting and and for me maybe a little bit of a, a helpful jumping off point that is for you or something like that because i think it's something that's obviously there's a there's a community that that really enjoys it and i'm not a runner myself so so it's always something i'm fascinated by but at at base what what do you feel like is the most fundamental reason that you do it like what 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 gets you up in the morning to to run 20 miles 30 miles 40 miles whatever whatever it is um what do you feel like is 
is most valuable to you about them? Yeah, I I think about this question a lot, as you can probably imagine. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a conversation that I've had with many different folks in my life, uh, whether they are runners or they're aware of the ultra running scene and the like amazing uh, efforts that certain, you know, um, very successful runners have accomplished in their lives. And it's like, yeah, what, how are, how are folks driven to that extent to do something? Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I come from a very sort of ph- phenomenological approach. Um, mm. and I think I always have, it's something that I, you know, had an experience, uh, not related to running, but early mm-hmm. sort of in my early twenties, um, that gave me some clues towards, yeah, why, why have I kept this up? Why is this something that I seem to, um, it seems valuable enough to push myself so hard. And I think some of it is just Mm -hmm. happenstance. Uh, I think that like, you know, we, we fall into, you know, it, it, a lot of it is neurology, right? We, we, we discover something, uh, there's a reward system there in place. It's, Mm-hmm. And um, we build those reward systems um, and and we want to keep doing that because it's rewarding. Uh, right. And that's just a lot of how our brain works. Um, and, you know, th- I think the point that is a little bit harder for, for folks sometimes to understand about something like, you know, putting in day after day of training, um, the hardships, the like, the fatigue, the all of the time it takes around the physical running to like take care of my body to make sure it can get out there and, and run each day. You know, it's not, it's not always fun. Right. And, yes. and so this is, this is a really important piece that, um, you know, we do things not because they're always fun. And actually that doesn't seem to be the point at all. Um, most of the time it's not fun. Most of the time it's painful and mm-hmm. uncomfortable um yet we know with whatever whatever task we're doing or whatever sort of long-term goal you know long-term investment um delayed gratification these types of things if if we come to a point of discovery with that task in which there is a reward we are we seem to be very willing to persevere through the mundane or the or the discomfort um, mm-hmm. in order to obtain that reward. And I think that's just basic human nature and, and probably, you know, goes beyond um, human nature, specifically just right. human nature. Uh, but then, you know, the question still remains, why running, right? There's all these mm-hmm. other, you know, you know, why personally me? And like I said, I think some of it's happenstance. I think it's, you know, it's just the way that my childhood unraveled and my parents saw me as this kid who couldn't sit still and mm-hmm. luckily they observed that and gave me a good outlet by you know almost literally throwing me outside and because they <laughs> couldn't handle you know that energy and right um, you know and the rest is kind of history so uh, you know i see it as like okay this is part of it is like it could be disposition right i just i um I, it's built into me and, you know, as a potential and that potential has been released and the way the cookie crumbled is it just kept 
kept developing and um and then you know um not not all runners who set out at you know continue to evolve that relationship and build it into something in which you know now i'm it's you know i've been doing this for what two and a half decades now so it's mm-hmm. it it's it's turned into something where like there's always something new to discover there's always something mm. sort of beyond the horizon um you know whether that's like okay what is the furthest i can run um mm. or you know how what is a state of mind that i haven't tapped into through these you know long hours of running or you know how how is running contributing to the rest of my life uh, so it becomes you know a deeper relationship through time and i i honestly think that's what really motivates me because other i think other aspects just plateau a bit um, mm. and to me it's it's still a process of the unknown and wondering okay if i keep doing this what else is out there um, mm-hmm. and yeah that's that's something that really drives me today you know like someday i'll do 100 miles and i think i'm like motivated less by that number and that distance than i am by going back to sort of that phenomenological uh orientation of what is the this the sense experience of of running for that long um mm-hmm. and also like dedicating like not dedicating my training to a place in which i can do 100 miles with relative ease right right um, and so yeah there's there's a lot there Mm. um, yeah there's definitely i guess there's two main things to unpack there for me and and i think i guess maybe the first would be especially i guess i'll start by saying i I can relate to to the overall sentiment and even though i'm i'm not a runner i'm in a lot of ways i it's not that i wish that i was but you would think it would maybe match up with a lot of things that are true about me and I, especially when I was younger, but, but even so now I've definitely gone out of my way to present challenges, uh, for myself that, that sometimes seemed a little bit extreme, or I, I've always been, been someone who exercised a lot and got a lot of value out of it in all different sorts of ways. I love to move. I love to play sports. I, it's always been a huge part of my life. And, and again, running never quite worked out for me and, there's a whole story to that. And I, I broke my leg running track in high school and, you know, just all kinds of things that long distance running just never quite meshed with me. But, um, yeah, I I guess hopefully I'll get to, to both of these questions, but the first really is because it's something I'm, I'm always thinking about. And I I like to always ask people about that. We, that I'm I'm able to, to get to a, a point of empathy with on this is, when you when you take something that you clearly are, as you spoke to, you're you're sort of pushing your boundaries. You're you're always kind of chasing that that ever moving horizon, if if you will, in a way. And you're trying to see what you're capable of. How how do you balance that with with also accepting where you are and, and being satisfied with where you are, and and not being uh, too driven by this kind of uh, I guess somewhat cyclical 
aim of, of, of just always moving forward, this very natural human condition of we always just want to, we want to see what's next. We're, we're curious. And then we are always, we're always kind of looking around the corner or we're, we're at the top of the mountain and we're kind of looking to the next one. Uh, and the, I mean, that's a lot of the fun of life, but at the same time, a lot of the pain of life is, is not being able to, to be okay with where, with where we are. And so, yeah, it's always one of these, these, uh, these big paradigms that I always think about. And, and I'm just curious, how you think about it and then how you try to balance that given this sort of natural ambition you have on this front. Yes. Uh, so, so relevant, such a, such a great question because it, one way I've looked at it is, Oh, running has been the best teacher for that paradigm or that lesson of balance. Um, because it has taught me to be Okay. Uh, that I'm not always going to be at my best. And not only that, but it's a false premise, you know, to begin with. And that there that is part of the cyclical nature of something like training. And, you know, I'm not a professional athlete, uh, but I do, I do train myself to a, a level or, you know, I'm dedicating my, my time each day to a level that mm -hmm. is comparable to that. And, you know, any professional athlete will tell you that there are limits to what the physical body can do within a, let's call it a training block, um, a given mm -hmm. uh, session of, of training. And so we have to work with that. Uh, we have to know what that limit is and come as sort of close to that limit as possible in order to peak at the right moment. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, and typically that's a, you know, it's a race uh, and a very specific, maybe it's a specific race out of the year. Um, and so, so part of the answer to your question is that I've learned how to sort of see the future in my training, you know, project myself to where I want to be at and then come back to the present moment and be very realistic about where I'm at and mm. being content with where I'm at because I have to accept where I'm at in order to progress in the way so that I can reach that goal in the future. Mm. And this, that, um, that actually what I've learned requires a lot of acceptance and to, to, you know, I, I don't know if there's like social apps now for like training and running. You can share your runs right. and it's really sure. great, uh, you know, as social creatures and you get motivated. Um, mm -hmm. And, but, you know, oftentimes what happens is, you know, we, we, we do the kind of the, the monkey see the monkey do, or we get the FOMO mm -hmm. um, or we, we see that our friend is, is running a little, you know, more miles or faster pace than us. And, Right. And we want to be at that same level. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we can push ourselves to do that, but it's not always, it, it's not always the best way to train, right? It's, it, in fact, it can be really damaging. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've discovered, you know, what, the one way I balance it is I have to really listen to myself and I have to not be too, what's the word? Um, 
external, I guess, about it, uh, because mm. then yeah. I, I do start to lose myself through that practice mm. or that training. Um, I have found that, you know, by doing that, I become a more successful runner. I run less, you know, miles than maybe my friends do per week. Um, but I've, I've become so much more in touch with my own body and what it's capable of. And mm -hmm. so the, the reward from that is that I'm actually performing better. And also uh, sort of an unintended reward or consequences is I feel more connected to myself. I, it, I feel like I'm giving my, my body the time and place and listening. And so there's like an intimacy mm -hmm. with, uh, with my own sort of, for lack of a better term, self. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's the first part of your question. But, and I'll make yeah. this other one uh, quick because it's, it's kind of, I had a, I did a Vipassana meditation, a 10 day silent meditation retreat uh, oh, yeah. back in October. Mm. And, and this is kind of the point of like how there's always, we don't always think we know everything. Um, you know, even with, you know, even after running for two and a half decades, I did this meditation and wow, did I learn how much running is affects the way that my mind works and the way mm. that I like do project, yeah. especially competition. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting in this meditation and there's a, we do like group meditations uh, in a hall and uh, that happens like three times a day throughout the 10 day period. Mm -hmm. And so in that group uh, setting, right, I'm sitting and I'm, I actually, my seat result, we have like a signed meditation seats so i always sit in mm -hmm. the same place and i just so happen to be sitting in the back the furthest to the back row so i could mm -hmm. see everyone in front of me yeah. and um uh i quickly realized how much that uh orientation juxtaposition affected the way that i like perceive myself and others in mm -hmm. this meditation experience and it was very it was very distracting because what I discovered I was doing is I was being ambitious. Um, mm. I was being competitive and I became more sort of determined to sit longer without, you know, budging, without having yeah. to get up from the discomfort. I became more determined to during the times of days where we didn't have to meditate in the meditation hall, you know, we could go back to our own private quarters uh, and rest, I was determined to continue to sit because I was comparing myself mm -hmm. to those around me. And I saw others get up and I'd be like, ah, I can sit longer. Like I can, yeah. I can out endure, right. I can, mm -hmm. I can endure for longer. And that's a, that's a very like, that is quintessential to uh, long distance running, right? How, how are you able to like pace yourself in a way that you can keep, keep together all your energy levels and, 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 and the way that your body is moving and, and your muscles and your ligaments and your bones and, and your, your form so that you're mm -hmm. not, you know, all these things are keeping track of to the point of being able to do it better than the next person. Right. And, you know, that prevented me from being able to really drop into uh, mindfulness mm -hmm. um, and to, you know, and I think to your point, the, there was a suffering that bo is born from that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's this, 
you know, it's the desiring or, you know, of something or, you know, the clinging to something or the aversion to something, you know, which, you know, it can tend to, if not is all of, you know, the source of our suffering. Um, so it's, it is, you know, it's, it's hard, Brandon, like, um, Mm -hmm. I do have to keep that in check uh, and I can still be hard on myself. Even, even after this many years of practicing, it never, you know, I may be more aware of it now. And so I can catch it and identify it uh, Mm -hmm. and then do something with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great anecdote. And it's, it's exactly the, the sort of response I was trying, trying to get at because it, it really is a great example there, and then maybe we'll have to get into it a little bit more so off right, off the record because it's been a long term sort of, I guess, aspiration, if you will, of mine to 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 do a silent retreat of, of sorts, and uh, it's yes. something I, I've looked into a little bit, but but never really taken any any action on, and I've done maybe some very abbreviated versions of that on my own, but. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that I could certainly see myself having a very similar experience in that sort of way, of of even just in the simplest of ways, we're always comparing ourselves to others and mm-hmm. and just wanting to sit longer, wanting to to put in more time, wanting to wanting to feel like we're getting the most out of the experience, or, or that yeah. especially in these sort of mindfulness circles, that can be that can be challenging, right? Cause you always feel like maybe what is most valuable is like right on the horizon that, that if I just sit a little bit longer, something different is going to happen or like this sort of state chasing sort of perspective yeah. that, that sometimes people get looped into through things like meditation that you're, you're just, you're waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for something to change and you're just kind of, you know, it, there's kind of this, I guess, cat and mouse sort of metaphor that's that I that I often lean on in that sense that you're you're just waiting, you know, right outside, um, and you're in a lot of ways missing the point by by expecting yes. something to change, by expecting that hey, I'm, I'm doing this ten day silent retreat, like I need to come out of this with with some big, right. you know, <laughs> with something big to offer, so people don't think I'm crazy to have done it, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to have something that you can tell everyone that you figured out. But, um, and so there is that, like, I just need to sit longer. I just need to, I just need to go further. I just need to push it and, and I'll get there. Like I, I've been there many times in, in different ways in my life. So it's, that, that really is, um, uh, that really is the crux of it in a lot of ways. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a lovely sort of beautiful paradox that, you know, it serves a purpose. Like, and, and I think it's like, it's a, but it's superficial in the sense of if, if it gets us there, great, mm-hmm. right? Just like, you know, like competition, you know, for me with running motivates me and it mm-hmm. gets, you know, it gets me right. disciplined, but it's not the, it's not the actual um, goal, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not the ultimate goal, you know, to win the race, uh, right. but it's, it's, uh, it gets me there. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Like I had to accept during the Vipassana that I was coming at it from this very determined, you know, running mentality place, because that's, that's what allowed me to sit for long periods of time. And mm. to and and to kind of pass through the discomfort, get through the mm-hmm. discomfort, um, right? But it's not going to 
it's not what's going to allow me to get beyond that. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I have to take that and I have to let it go in order to actually, uh, you know, let's say transcend uh, f- from that from that state. So it's useful, and mm-hmm. it's you know I always I I, it, I say this to sometimes to the annoyance of my friends or family, <laughs> but I say like we're all runners. Like whether you whether you see yourself as a runner or not, like running is a is the human endeavor it is the it is that like for one just from like a you know a evolutionary theory uh right like running being this like very very ancient way in which early hominids you know turn became uh right. prey yeah. species um and were yeah. able to hunt down larger uh, animals for more sustenance um, mm-hmm. by not being the faster one but by out outrunning um, over mm-hmm. distance and right. all of our sort of physical ad- adaptations point to that um, in in some ways in very bizarre ways that we don't even know like you're a runner like you're a runner because of our your large proboscis your nose on the front of your face Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like that is a, that is an adaptation. That's a physical adaptation, which means it's, it's for a physical, um, uh, feature. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's for a, it's something that has to do with our physical environment. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, it's, you know, the, the, all the beads of sweat that come out in almost every part of your body when, when you're, you know, your heart rate is up and, and you're exercising, like, that's not a typical adaptation you see in nature. Like that's a very mm-hmm. homo right. sapien adaptation. You know, we have one of the most incredible cooling systems um, that has ever existed, you know, you know, in, in the evolution uh, adaptation of this, of this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, that's all, that's all to be able to, from this theory, right. Is, is to mm-hmm. be able to run very long distances in, uh, in hot, harsh conditions. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I guess like to that point, it's like, it's okay to like tap into that, you know, desire to really push and, and be determined. And I do think that like, even, even something like mindfulness, um, you know, that's, that can be a very useful tool and it's, it's totally natural and, uh, is worth tapping into uh, in order to, but, you know, to, to get to a point within one's own practice. Um, but yeah, it's only going to get you so far. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that's, that's ultimately the idea is that it's not that your ego is, is necessarily some sort of fundamentally bad thing. It's, it's just a matter of, of having an awareness there to, you know, when it's a tool and, and, or when it's a feature and, and when it's a bug, if you will, that, and then because of the way that our modern societies is generally set up, it can become that predominant force. It can become synonymous with the self that because we have this, such a competitive landscape, um, not that there hasn't always been one, but because of how our incentive structures are, it's, it's easy for that just to become everything for an individual. And 
I think to remove it entirely is 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 not necessarily positive either. And and there's certainly, like you said, it kind of gets us to the table in a lot of situations. It mm-hmm. it gets us to the to the edge of the cliff in a way, um, or, or the precipice. You know, to, mm-hmm. to maybe make it sound less daunting, but <laughs> yeah, it, it gets us to the point that that we can maybe make a mindful decision. But without it, you know, in theory, well, you, you just you just sit around all, you know, you, you probably become a hermit, uh, and you hang out in a cave and, and maybe that's cool for you. You know, it, it, I guess different strokes for different folks, but yeah, it, it gets us to, to interesting places. It, it, it drives our curiosity. It, it brings us to the table as long as we can, you know, still have some distance from it at a certain point and be aware of it and, and not be totally controlled by it. I think that's, that's sort of the, the middle ground we want to try to find, but much easier said than done. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. That is, that is true. That is very true. Yeah. But I guess the one thing I'll jump back to before I forget, which was, and I guess this will be a little bit of a segue to something else is the reason, and you've spoken to it on, on, I guess maybe a little bit of a surface level, but this idea, I guess, as I spoke to before that I think and for a lot of reasons, I would like to run, you know, I'd, I'd like to be someone who's, who's better at it. And physiologically, it's something I've had challenges with, um, you know, with, with injuries and, and things of that nature. But the, yeah, one of the main reasons is, is just because you get to spend more time outside. I mean, obviously uh, you can, yeah. you can do, you can just stand outside if you want to, but yeah, the, the fact that you are, you know, moving through space and you're, you're, you're getting to not just in, enjoy where you currently are, but it, it is, it takes you places, right? It, it, it takes you places in the natural world and allows you, especially if you achieve a certain competence with it, to be able to sort of tap into your environment, to, to pay attention to things, to have a different sort of relationship with your natural environment, which I, I know from from what I know about you is, is very important to you. And it's something that I, I always look for excuses to spend more time in nature. And, and I like to hike a lot and things like that. But yeah, I think running is just another portal to that, where if, if you're doing that every day, you're, you're, you're getting to see new spaces, you're, you're getting to see new places, you're, you're breathing clean air, you're getting some sun, you know, you're getting a lot of valuable things at base right there. But all that to say, I'm, I'm definitely curious if you can maybe just speak to the, the importance of of that sort of relationship with the natural world and and what that's what that's done for you. Yes, uh, certainly. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I I come from a premise in my life, my life's work, um, that it is very important to have a relationship to nature and you know the the reason or or the way that i've come to that sort of um why why i give that significance mm-hmm. is is a is a personal journey uh, for sure and that personal journey has brought me to a place in which I'm now trying to see how I can expand that relationship beyond just my own self, right? That, mm. And enter the social realm uh, with this importance. And so, I, I mean, I can, I can sort of talk about a little bit about that personal um, 
journey. Uh, but you know, I want to. I do want to start with saying that there are. I'd say that one of the main benefits of having, you know, getting ourselves out into nature, having that relationship with the natural world, it, it is to to say, yeah, it's to start from this premise of like we too are nature. It's something I find myself saying a lot, almost almost like a mantra, but it's it's a it's a tricky one because. To say that we too are nature is to sort of imply that there's some sort of severance from nature, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's to give this notion that um, there's something about us that is not natural. And I try yeah. to be really careful with that because I, I don't want to build a sense for people or for myself or for, you know, the way that Uh, the course of civilization has taken that there is something necessarily inherently wrong in in our in our cultural evolution in our path and I I guess I say that because I don't want to sound I think it's presumptuous and I think it's um, it's a matter of um, let's see what's the word I'm thinking of Um, it's speculation Mm. It, I think it's yet determined to say what is natural or unnatural about the way that civilization right. functions, because isn't that itself just human nature, right? We, we can only be what we are. And, but that, you know, that being said, there is still something valuable, I believe, strongly in having that relationship to the natural world. So then the question remains, what do we mean by the natural world, right? What, mm. is, what is different about you know, being in a city uh, than it is to be in a forest or maybe even a park you know, within mm. a city? Or what's the difference between a park in a city than the forest outside of the city? Yeah. And I think that this taps into um, you know, a very sort of mythological um, perspective, um, which is this idea of stepping outside of the world and being in a world in between worlds, uh, crossing the threshold, severing from uh, what you know and diving into what you don't know. Mm-hmm. This being mythological in the sense that it just shows up in all of our human stories uh, yeah. cross culturally. And I think this is really what taps into this idea of having our practice or some sort of um, relationship with the natural world. Even though we too are nature, there is something about stepping outside of a human focused environment, a human dominant Mm -hmm. or human oriented environment um, and immersing Emerging, emerging ourselves into an environment that is not a human domain. Mm-hmm. And so for me, in my personal journey, I, I sort of took that to what some might call like an extreme. So I, I took a path of really sort of tapping into this sense that I needed to be exposed to something that didn't feel like it was coming from 
uh, humans. I wanted to mm-hmm. learn from an other than human world. Yeah. And I don't really know, like, I, I don't know, like, I was pr- most likely just influenced by, you know, my experiences in college and being exposed to, um, like, a lot of, like, anthropology classes and, and seeing how other people live in the world. Mm-hmm. And seeing that there was a great sort of spectrum of, of just how different uh, cultures exist and how, how different cultures have a relationship to the place in which those cultures reside from. And so I, in college, ended up going to Hawaii for a, an environmental science program. It was like an eight-week course to mm-hmm. use um, scientific method to explore a region and to dive into understanding uh, ecology, yeah, mostly. And so I got to go to Hawaii for this program. And one, I was really just blown away by this, this thriving chain of ecosystems that exists in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It, just, it, was, it was new to me. You know, I'm from mm-hmm. the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, different climate, just different bioregion altogether. Um, and there was something just very, like, again, mythological about, like, traveling far away mm-hmm. from my home and that, like, that excitement. Um, and, but also to travel to, like, the middle of the Pacific Ocean, this very isolating feeling landmass. Um, there was something special about that. And I think, like, from my orientation in space and time, just being, being the fact that it was a remote place. And I was, I was very fascinated with that and it felt magical and it, it felt like it mm-hmm. was instilling within me, uh, you know, uh, something really like special. Um, and that's kind of like where I started to really dive into phenomenology, where I seem to be affected by this place on like a very like on an emotional state like Mm -hmm. i was feeling things that i hadn't felt before yeah towards a space uh and a place and i was so like curious by that the the how strong those feelings were and i was like whoa like where is this like where is this coming from because on one level it's it's just coming from me but it's you know, it's arising through me and I'm the one experiencing this and it's my mm-hmm. body, but then it, it's being affected by this space around me. And mm-hmm. there was just like this one stark moment where we were out on a backpacking trip and we were up on, in the Volcanoes National Park, um, and which is, sits, that, that land is, is on, you know, one of the most active volcanoes on this earth, um, mm-hmm. the, the Kilauea volcano. And we were backpacking down towards the ocean where there's a, um, a nice campsite. And, you know, we started like at like three or 4,000 feet and we were just hiking yeah. down a massive lava flow. And we, we sort of traversed across different lava flows, you know, that, that, that wow. had erupted at different points, you know, in, in Kilauea's um, activity. 
And so, you know, you're seeing this change, you know, this the, uh, in time, right, right before your eyes of like, you know, an older lava flow that's like red and oxidized and, mm-hmm. and, and there's lots of different vegetation growing around it and, you know, life is colonized and is, yeah. um, and then you might like walk through what's called a kipuka or it's like an island forest, right, where the lava somehow didn't, it didn't touch. So there's an older area mm. even before the lava flows of like this rich dense forest and, yeah. and you know full of uh, native species and endemic that only found on that island if not you know all of hawaii and and then you walk out of that on your and you're in this like raw like new lava that 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 had you know poured out maybe only 20 years ago and there's just you know nothing there save like you know you might catch out of the corner of your eye a single fern that has somehow found its you know ability mm-hmm. to to grow and and all of that just like was hitting me hard right and and in a way that I didn't understand I was just but some part of me was understanding right because I was having an emotional experience and mm-hmm. and so you know, I've always reflected on that, you know, that was probably about 10 years ago um, of like this launching off point of, okay, I'm, I'm had, I had an experience that I didn't quite understand yet. I was having an emotional response, which meant that part of me did know what was going on. And so now I needed to sort of explore that from a, from a mindset of sort of curiosity and inquiry of what is it? This is something I don't, I don't know. I don't know why it's happening, um, but I want to know. And so all of that is to say that like, there are deep lessons to learn outside of a human construct. There's a identity beyond, uh, uh, there's identity that we can potentially form that um, doesn't that doesn't isn't just developed in a human construct. Um, mm-hmm. There is something about being a human that is not human uh, specifically. Yeah. It it there is a there is a richness to our experience um, that we can formulate and form whether with intention or just by the mere fact of where we exist, you know, on this planet that shapes who we are and Mm -hmm. how we see the world. And I think that like, it is valuable to be able to tap into that uh, experiential relationship um, that it's not coming from videos and books. It's not coming from speech. It's not coming from, you know, uh, uh, institutions it's 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 coming from sort of the antithesis to that which is that which is you know non-human or is um i have this i have this so there's this quote i have from from a book i i wrote um and you know it was talking about me and a friend going on this backpacking trip and you know, finally getting out, you know, into, mm-hmm. into the wilderness. And, you know, he said that we reveled in releasing our bodies into the natural world where nothing in sight was human organized, where all was self-organizing. 
Mm. And we can we can talk about this a little bit more too. You know, you mentioned the ego and and what how we are serving ourselves um, or how we are serving the world. And yeah, to I mean to wrap ourselves into an environment which nothing everything seems to be serving everything seems to be existing to serve something other than itself mm. is a, is something that is very hard to see i think in a human built world yeah yeah i mean it's 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 definitely it's challenging i think and and maybe to your previous point it's from an evolutionary perspective, we we got here for a reason, and, and and in a way, you could argue that we're unique. But in in a very real sense, you could argue that we're we're not unique at all, and, and that we we got here by the same forces and, and drives as any other species. So it's it, it's it's easy to look at our our modern world and and feel like it's so so distant from from how things are more you know, quote unquote, naturally. Mm-hmm. And I think we have, I think one of the the biggest fundamental challenges of existing in this time and space that we do is that our technology has developed or even quote unquote evolved at a rate that is just unbelievable and, and totally unmatched by our actual, um, hardwiring if you will <laughs> that the, the, the software has has far surpassed the hardware and and so at base we're, we're probably pretty much still the same species that we were a million years ago when everything around us was so so different and our technology has pushed us to this point where we're there's this disconnect between what we are what our hardware is and, and the software that we are are always running and so I think for me, that's often where I see the disconnect is that our hardware still is what it is and we can't really help that. And we can try to better understand that and we can try to optimize for that in a way and create a world that suits that. But we, it, it's not like we made those decisions. Uh, it's not like anyone really made that decision for us, but we have developed the way that we have as far as societies go and it's as we sort of talked about before it, it's always i think in theory based in this idea of, of just progressing right and and to what end well that's that's the big question right but but we've just been progressing and we've been you know we've been yeah. growing and, and we've been doing more and we've just been creating more of ourselves i mean that's 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 what our, our drive is to do but we've never necessarily on a large scale stopped and said well how how is this really matching up with with what our hardware is. And, and, and that's, that's for me, that big question that I think has to be sort of leveled at big tech and uh, political mm-hmm. leaders of anyone who's making decisions out there is, 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 are we creating the sort of world that, that makes sense for what we are at base? Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, my, my visceral response is to say no, but at the same time, it's, it's this paradox that, that we're sort of juggling here because, I mean, we, we created it. We, we, we are the ones who have, uh, made this, made this world around us. And so what are we doing besides acting out our nature and, and, and who am I to say that we're 
we're somehow off course, right? I mean, that, that maybe there, there is some sort of broader aim. There, there is some broader understanding that, that I'm missing. But I guess to, to maybe get back to your point just a little bit more, I think it's, it's hard living in, in, in this everyday world, especially living in a relatively normal, modern city, if you will, to, to see how nature really functions and, and to understand that on, on a very basic level that, that everything has a place, everything has a role, uh, everything in, in a way exists for a reason. Uh, and I do find a lot of comfort in that. And that's why I originally kind of got into evolutionary biology, you know, just in a, in a, you know, very, in a novel way, to be honest, more recently, and, and certainly in a very amateur way, but to be able to sort of begin to connect the dots and, and understand, oh, wow, like, okay, this is, this is kind of why we are the way that we are. And this is how this kind of makes sense. And this is how this maps onto other species. And, and this is how the same, we're the same. And this is how we're different. And, and this is how we're, we're maybe doing some unhelpful things, but this is how we're also doing a lot for this planet as well. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it is those experiences that you're speaking to that sort of enrich and drive this desire to better understand and, and have deeper experiences in the natural world because it just, it, it, it hits you and you can't deny it. Whereas when you just, you just live in your default mode, it's, it's very easy to just look past it and, and uh, you know, just keep kind of running the rat race, if you will. But when, when you experience something so raw, like that, or even if you're just anywhere, you go to the top of a mountain and, and you just have that pullback and it's hard to explain and, and everyone just kind of sits there slack-jawed for a minute or two because for a moment we realize we just have that pullback. We, we have a little bit of a different perspective of, mm. of our place and everything and, and how small we really are and what the larger forces that are at play that have made, <laughs> that have all brought us to this to this very moment. So it's... I think those those moments are essential, and the more that you can have them, the better. Even if it's as simple as just looking up at the stars at night, it is a big one for me. Where you just are like, "Fuck," you know. Yeah. This is. This is you <laughs> that's know, that's we, such we, a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's 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 there. Um, it's all like the stars are always there, right? And they're above us, so they're accessible. Unless you're in you know a lot of light pollution. But mm-hmm. I think to your point, it's yeah, it, it, it's. The stars would allow us, for example, is to break through something. It's to break through some kind of barrier that is keeping us from seeing something beyond a human scope. Mm-hmm. And it, from a phenomenological standpoint, like it, it, like it has to come from, I think, one's own bodily experience. Mm-hmm. And, and because we can intellectualize it, there are, you know, scientists evolutionary biologists or or astronomers or you know climate scientists who are giving this notion of hey there's a there's a whole system out there that is bigger than us and we are impacting it because we exist within it and we are a dominant species um but you know how does one really experience both the sort of the the impact of your own you know collective uh, species on mm-hmm. on the planet, but also the hum the, you know, the humility and how small one is, and how there is this larger system, and we can't yeah. we can't 
fully you know control it or, or feel like we can just do willy-nilly mm-hmm. we have to break through something and you know humans are one of the most domesticated if not you know we are the domesticated species on the planet in the sense of like we build our domain and we live inside of it and we are mm-hmm. fair, fairly safe inside of it right we don't right. we don't really have predators anymore we we somehow are have enclosed ourselves into a a a a system that, uh, that provides and provides and provides you know to the point of like we're reproducing at this you know uh, in procreation in at this at this rate that is um you know one could see as highly successful right um but of course there's other unintended consequences that that come with that mm-hmm. and but there's, I think there is something, you know, that disconnect that you speak to that happens when we solely exist within our own domain. We have mm-hmm. to exist in our own domain because of we're, we're homo sapiens and, and all creatures have their domain, but not all creatures exist solely in their domain, right? Right. One has to leave the safety of their home in order to perpetuate their own life. Uh, that's that just seems to be an essential component to the way that life functions. Um, there, there's a, and this kind of gets back to my point of like, in if one is to leave their domain, it means that one is a part of a larger system and cycle, which means that mm-hmm. one must be serving a role to perpetuate a larger system and, and cycle of life. And nothing seems to exist for its own purpose. You know, ex- there's there's a niche, right? There's there's some sort mm-hmm. of job you could say to to keep the system going, and yeah, I don't think we humans are any different uh, than that. But the question for me is: Is it possible to forget? Is it possible to you know to lose an understanding or to yeah, like an amnesia of of the, the ecological sort of role or purpose. And this is, this is precarious territory because it gets back to that, like what is human yeah. nature and mm-hmm. what is really in control like, of human nature or, or you know, destiny and whatnot. But, you know, I, I think something that's been really helpful for me is like looking at, there's something about having a connection also to the past, understanding where we came from, uh, to understand where we're at, to understand where we're going. And I just like that, that like relationship to the past is something that I, I see it almost as like an analogy. I, I heard this once and it was really helpful to me that like to have a relationship with the past is to think about it as that where that in which is where you came from or that that has allowed you to exist, right? Like mm-hmm. you were born into this world, not by choice, but by something brought you into this world. And there was a foundation for you to um, develop in the world, right? There's already something mm-hmm. in place. There's already some system in place that is allowing you to exist. Um, and so that would, be, that would be the past. But we can also think about it physically, as, uh, spatially, as that which you stand upon. Right. Mm-hmm. There is there is something that is supporting you. Right. And so 
what is allowing us to support it's it's the physical earth that is below us right there's something to stand on so yeah. earth a planet is is that support system you know, it is that in which allows us to 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 stand up and, and to exist and then of course you know all you have to do you know we say things like digging into the past right well if you literally dig into the earth you can and you know any geologist can tell you this um you find layers and layers you know that it, and evidence of what existed in temporal past right so mm-hmm. Um, it's really helpful for me to think about it in that way, like to be grounded, right? To feel grounded is is to have sort of a that phenomenological uh, perspective of of being supported by by the earth, and that's what it mm-hmm. means to have connection to the past. Think about it ancestrally, right? How many people? What is your lineage, right? Who who struggled in the world before you and survived and created? you know, a support system to allow you to exist. What is your, what is your ancestral story? Do you have a connection to it? Do you have an awareness or an understanding of, of it? And, and again, that can be very personal, like your personal lineage of where um, you as an individual came from, you know, who your parents were, who your parents' parents were, but it, you know, it can also be a species thing or, or, or a cultural thing. What is your? What are the cultures that you came from? Um, I think all of that really gives us a, a good sense of where we're at today, where we can start from, and then the present. You know, is that which is fully in front of you. So again, if we think about mm-hmm. it spatially, it's that it's all that you can see, and let's say with the naked eye. So we can only see, you know, to the horizon on this planet, right on this Earth. You can't see beyond the the actual horizon because we're on a you know it, it, uh, we exist on a planet that's curved and so everything that's present is everything that you can see in that moment um and and so you can turn in 360 degrees right so the past is not what's behind you because you can turn around and you can see exactly what's behind you the mm-hmm. past is what's below you the present is everything within a 360 degree perspective that you can see um and that's what it means to be you know, present, to be present with those elements in your life. Mm-hmm. And then the future is that which you can't see. Um, and the only way to see it is to bring it into the present, right? So we can have an awareness of the future, right? We know that there are things beyond the horizon, but we're not sure what those are. So we have to move towards the horizon and the horizon reveals itself to us, but we have to choose, you know, what direction to go in, in the present, right? Do you go to the North, the East, the West, the South, Mm -hmm. or even maybe there's a tree in front of you. Okay. So you can see one side of the tree, right? And that's your present moment. That's what you're, that's what you know, you know, that side of the tree, you can't see the other side of the tree. So that's the future, right? That's something that you, you can't see, but you know that it exists. You know that it's there. And so you can have the omission or the agency to move to the other side of the tree. And so, you know, all of that, all of that is to say that, like, when you, you know, I mean, I'm so concerned about big tech, too, because mm-hmm. it's, it's like, 
when we when we solely exist when a, in a social environment, which is kind of what like tech has enabled for us, right? We get on the internet, we, we get on our devices, and what are we interacting with? Mostly each other, right? It's it's mm-hmm. it's primarily what it it is. It, I, but also like the vast amount of information that you can gather. But gosh, I watched right. that movie last night. Um, Don't look up. I don't know if you, it's it's on. Mm. Netflix. Yeah, I was, I, I've seen the trailer, but I, I've yet to actually see it. Well, I don't want to spoil it for you, but I was so uncomfortable watching it like almost the entire time, even though it's like a, mm, you know, that's, that's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause it's, it's just like, it's like, what, how, what are we turning into? Like we're turning into these creatures that just, we don't interact with anything but each other. And where do we get all of our truths? Where do we get all our sense of what's real and what's not, you know, mm. we, we seem to be like, we seem to just be doing it all through an interface, right? Um, some sort of secondary um, system or device. But what about the primary device, um, you know, which is our bodies? Um, mm-hmm. Why is that still important? Why is it still important that we do look up at the stars mm-hmm. and, and, you know, to step outside? Like I, I went for a run yesterday, last night, late, you know, later at night, I was busy all day and I didn't get a chance. And finally I did. I was like, you know what? It's dark, but I'm going to go run anyways. And I went out and ran down to this park that's right on the, the, the shore of the Puget Sound here in Seattle. And it was a really calm night. You know, it was very pleasant, you know, mm-hmm. even though it's kind of cold, but no wind. Um, and it was clear and the moon was out. And I just mm-hmm. had this like moment where I just sat there on, on like a big piece of driftwood on the shore and looked up and just looked at the moon and some stars were showing. And it was this pause in otherwise what feels like a perpetually moving life that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And so that's the other point of like, when you talk about like how we are moving so much, we're constantly, you know, whether it's like this rat race mentality of like trying to gain something, you know, for future benefit, or it's physically just in traffic and like <laughs> trying to get to work as, you know, as you're on time um, or whatever mode of, of commuting you take, it's, Mm-hmm. We're moving in these ways that our technology has given us that makes us more efficient and let's say wealthier. Um, but it's also taking something from us, you know, mm-hmm. and it's take it, what it seems to be taking from us is like that point of origin where our bodies came from, right? Which is like, there is a, there is a speed in which humans adapted to move at. Mm-hmm. And if we move any faster than that, it's, it can be a little disorienting. And imagine doing mm-hmm. that day in and day out. Um, and imagine that the, then that becomes your mentality, right? Where it's, yeah. it's also like you're just, your mind is moving at that speed. Mm-hmm. What are we losing from that? Right? Is there something that yeah. has been lost or are we adapting and evolving? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a valid question. And, and I think my answer is, is always yes, yeah. <laughs> that we are losing something. But yeah, I mean, I think I, I always 
especially from my sort of interest in in, in the evolutionary landscape that it, it is all about trade-offs and then so whether you're talking about evolution or, or mm. economics it's it, it, it you're always losing something and it, it's a matter of what you're trying to maybe optimize for in any given moment and you want to try to make decisions where you feel like what you're gaining is, is better than what you're losing but you're always losing something and uh yeah i think we, we want to try to make those trade-offs when we feel like the the loss or the risk or whatever it is 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 worth it but i think we often we often exist as though there are just these these ultimate wins that 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 have no costs and just because the costs are subtle or because they're um progressive in in, in in a smaller way and that we can't understand or predict them very well in this moment but in, in my opinion the null hypothesis always has to be that that there's a a cost that is relatively proportionate to the gain it, it's just a matter of of it's a matter of priorities you know at the end of the day and what makes a a, a tortoise different from a rabbit uh, it's actually something i've written about a little bit just as a fun thought experiment um from the old aesop fable but you know it, it is one's not better than the other they, they just have very different reproductive strategies and it, it creates very different things based on that that if you allocate resources towards um towards re recovery and uh rebuilding and, and rejuvenation you get something that lives a very long time because it is very safe and so it's it's risk of dying from environmental hazard is so low that it it makes sense for it to to live a long time and to sp spend resources on uh, on that end where something or even take the rabbit out of it even though it's fair something like a, a mouse that the odds of it living past a year or two regardless of, of whether or not how long it could live um, it, because it's so heavily, it's such a, a a prey animal. It's something that is so easy generally to kill, and it feeds so many things. It just doesn't make sense for a mouse to to dedicate resources towards living a long time because it's probably going to die far before it ever could die of natural causes, if you will. Um, but yeah, I mean that's just one example, and it exists throughout all of nature throughout our bodies, the way that we've evolved and, and everything we're always, even our brains, right? We, we, we gave up so much to have these big brains. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I wonder if it was worth it. Mm -hmm. right? um, <laughs> yeah. It's yet, you know. yet to be determined, right? But, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, there's always this very interesting sort of arms race, uh, analogy between, um, you know, w women's hips and, and human babies' heads yeah. and the human brain and that there was many sacrifices that, that were just fundamental to that where, mm. um, you know, it's to have wider hips makes a lot of things way more difficult. But to have larger brains, we, we continue to make that trade-off uh, over time. And so we just siphon resources from, from other things and we make changes to make those happen. So... Yeah, I mean, all that to say, I think there's there's always trade-offs. And I think in this modern world, we sometimes feel as though it's just like, hey, it's progress for progress sake. And if, if it's faster, if it's more efficient, if it's at a larger scale, it, it must be better. And often it is. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that's even necessarily totally wrong, but ignoring the cost, I think, is is mm. is always a mistake ultimately. And to even just make one final point about Loss. I, I don't know if you're familiar with 
with the poet uh, David White. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. David White. Loved it. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of his, but he he often talks about fear of loss as being really the only motivator in in the human experience. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's a lot of like not just fear, but fear of loss specifically. And, and I mm-hmm. think it's you know it's it's a little abstract, but it's quite elegant in a sense because I think our lives have become so safe and so good mm-hmm. and so rich that we are so worried about losing anything that we do have that we do become incredibly risk averse or, or to your previous point, we, we don't spend time in contact with things outside of our bubbles because we have these incredibly safe and rich bubbles that we've created. And so to step outside of that and, and, you know, to, to go on a hike by yourself and be like, Hey, if I got hurt and fell down, no one could save me like that. That doesn't seem worth it. You know, like just even just to be alone, to, to step out into to the quote unquote natural world where maybe there's even a, a 0.01% chance of, of yeah. running into a bear or a mountain lion or something like that, where that seems because we just have so much and because we've gotten to this point where our lives are, are so, so free of these very natural risks and, and potential losses that it has changed the way that we experience the world. And so our fear of loss just continues to get turned up. And so we just kind of hold on to everything with, with all of our might and that maps onto our personal identities as well, right? We, we hold on to what we currently are and what we currently have so dearly that we, we aren't willing to be open-minded enough to explore things to your point that we don't understand, that we that we can't integrate into our current model or however we think about it. Yeah. I'm I'm really glad that you brought up this um, component of loss and yeah, David White's, you know, it's the, it's the, not the loss itself, but the fearing of losing. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, gosh, whenever I read David White, it just, it's like, Yes, it's so true. It's so true. It's, yes. it's so simple, but it's, it's exactly how I feel. But it's, yeah, you know, I, the fear of something is, a, again, a, I think is such an intimate um, relationship. And mm-hmm. it can be very personal, but there is this overarching um, pattern that comes with that and it it, yeah it's loss it's 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 the sense that that something is going to be um, whether it's existential and it's your life Mm -hmm. or whether it's something that you love um, or something that you are attached to um, someone that you love or it's a way of life fear of, mm-hmm. of just change, um, that you know, the conditions in which you live in are changing, you know, that, and I, yeah, I, I think that like when it comes to nature, um, you know, like you said, like just going out and, and going on a hike by yourself can be really scary. Because uh, yeah, what if something happens, right? Especially if you're, you know, there's no other people around. 
you know, and you fall and you, and you hurt yourself um, and you could be stuck and you could, you could, you could die um, or you mm. could just suffer a lot of pain and you don't know what, yeah. what is going to happen. So that loss of, of, of security that you're so used to. There, there's something we use in sort of the like outdoor guiding world. Um, Cause I used, I used to be a uh, outdoor um, uh, camp counselor or a wilderness mm. guide. Yeah. And it's, we, we often use sort of the uh, two metrics, which is actual risk versus perceived risk. Mm-hmm. And we use that in order to take a group out into the wilderness and make decisions you know, in, in the wilderness to keep everyone safe um, or to keep ourselves safe. Like if you are going on an adventure and you're going to climb a mountain, um, you have to be able to assess, you know, what is, what, uh, what risks are you willing to take? And one way to make mm-hmm. that decision is to discern how much of this is just a perceived risk versus an actual risk. Like how much of, does this right. just feel really scary but the actual risk is less than you know one percent because and we do this all the time right we do this every time we get in a car and drive somewhere right right? we're taking a risk um but we get you know we get used to it um and you know we're not always that rational when it comes to asserting uh risk yeah and and so then there is this other component to it of like it's the for me uh, one way I've really looked at it is a fear of um, lack of control, right? Like I'm way more stressed out when I'm in the passenger seat of a car than I am behind <laughs> the wheel, mm-hmm. and it's 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 just a matter of I'm not I don't feel like I'm in control, um, mm-hmm. and I think that that is the part of what the epitome is to be out in nature or to be in an environment that is not of human design. Mm-hmm. It's to, it's to lose, it's to lose control. Um, and I think that like that, like for me, I now like, you know, when I go out into nature, I'm at peace. I'm, I'm relaxed. I'm, I'm comfortable. Um, and sometimes, you know, a lot of the times more so than, you know, here in, in the city where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was always the case that way for me. Um, it, it is something that developed over time. Um, but I think that, you know, there is a valuing of a relationship to something in which you are not at the center of it or you're not in control. Yeah. That you're in an environment, you know, in which there are not just dangers that you can't perceive but also that um you're in an environment that is there's actually something like i think it does like tap into a bodily response that is kind of uh i don't know i guess for yeah primal it's going to it's going to heighten your senses right because Mm -hmm. your your body is like oh this is this is something that I evolved in, right? And mm-hmm. what it evolved in is an environment that is not completely understood or that mm-hmm. you have complete control and power over. Yeah. And that's actually like, like I, love, I love that feeling. 
and and it's it's a it's a feeling that one can cultivate um it doesn't have to be something to fear it, it's just activating you know uh a response in the body that is that otherwise you know may not always be active especially and 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 then often like there's kind of like a sort of an example of like um I mean, it's not to say that like our human built environments are are devoid of of challenge and struggle and losses and and, and threats and right. risks. Um, it's 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 more to say that like there's some there's that actually like nature can be a really safe place to build a relationship and, and contentness mm-hmm. with that you know those inevitabilities of life. Yeah. And because it, you know, it's activating things that aren't going to necessarily like you're taking a break from your life by getting out into nature. You're, -hmm. you're still, um, you don't have to worry so much about, you know, starving and, and, you know, the weather, uh, because you're going to be out in it, you know, temporary. And even if something, does happen there's you know you've put safety nets in place you've told people where you're at and when you're supposed to come back you know it's 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 hardly any less dangerous um but yet it can bring a context to your own life that i think is invaluable um, uh, because of that sort of primal activation that occurs Mm -hmm. yeah Definitely. I mean, I think it is, is often all in, I guess maybe a better way of putting it is, is that we, we, there is just often a, a huge valley between these two things that you, you originally spoke of as far as perceived risk and, and actual risk. And it's, it's very hard to decipher sometimes how much of that is, is just, is just us, right? Is <laughs> is just internal or is just our own baggage our own misunderstandings and then how much of that is is real and and worth considering and i think that's why we we sort of crave these sorts of experiences in life that feel risky but in fact are are not and mm-hmm. you know something like a roller coaster right. or um you know even a horror movie or, or a haunted house whatever it is i think everyone has a version of that that they enjoy because often our, our lives are so removed from that, that sort of, I guess, and not to conflate this with the, the sort of stress and anxiety that often plagues people, but that in, in some ways these things are natural states that aren't fundamentally bad either. And that we, in, in our more basic state, we're, we're used to experiencing more real, more actual risk, more uh, healthy, if you will, stress and anxiety to, to stay alive. And now we, we don't get as much of that from real risk. It's, it's more perceived. And so to mm. be in a context mm. in which we get a little bit of that same physiological response, but we know like I, I'm strapped into this thing. It's, it feels like I'm dying, yeah. but I, I know that I'm not. Yeah. And, and that can be this, this sort of joyful thing that is a little bit perplexing from the outside when you're like, why would you, yeah. why would you bungee jump or, or why would you jump out of an airplane or whatever it may be? Why, why do we watch things that upset us? Whatever it is that um, th- there's lots of versions of that. And I think we do try to toe that line and we do try to understand that. But often I think it, it is one of the 
the beautiful and, and sort of triumphant things about our modern world is that real risk is actually quite low yeah. most of the time. Absolutely. And um, the things that actually are risky, we, we sometimes lose sight of, even if it's just like how we treat ourselves or our bodies or, yeah. you know, things like that, that we, we don't even think about, even though the risks that we take every day, like you said, getting in a car is, is far riskier than, than getting in a plane, which feels wrong, but, but, but by the data is actually more risky. And, and so I think that's often where a, a foundation of, of understanding, um, even just basic data and, and basic science to be able to to make those distinctions to some extent and, and to be able to say, hey, this is real risk. This is this is mostly perceived. This is mostly on me. Uh, can 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 be a helpful tool in, in everyday life to to just you know get rid of just a little bit of that ambiguity that that often plagues us and leaves us in, in regular states of stress and anxiety that aren't aren't justified or aren't helpful, if you will. But on on that particular point, because um, I'm, I'm sure there's, I know there's a lot more that I'd, that I'd actually like to cover. And I'd certainly like to talk about your book a bit more. And, and I, I imagine we could do this for, for quite a bit longer. But I do want to leave a little bit uh, unseen and unsaid. And I also would like to leave a little bit of something for, for the both of us and the audience to, to come back to next time that we do this. And, and so in the name of this realm of, of, of fear of loss, I'm just curious maybe and to bring things totally full circle for how this conversation started as, as an intention for this year. I'm just curious if there's anything in this moment, and you can take some time to think about this if you'd like, but anything that you feel like right now you're, you're sort of struggling with as far as holding on to or being afraid of, of losing that you'd maybe like to let go or just come to a place of more acceptance in, um, in this year. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So one thing that I'm a fear I'd like to let go of, uh, that I know I've been holding on to and harboring is, is this fear of, if I let, if I let go of more control over the way that I'm conducting my life, that mm-hmm. my life is not going to turn out better, but worse. Mm. And why that's a fear, I think, is you know, is stemming still from a place of like wanting, still wanting to see control. Mm-hmm. wanting a, a sort of uh, rigidness around um, uh, around that and feeling like I am in, I it, like my life is my destiny. Every decision that I make has consequences. And so I need to be impeccable, you know, mm-hmm. with every, every choice that I make um, when it comes to even the way that I, you know, wake up in the morning. And, you know, and what and how efficient I am with getting everything done and all of my goals mm-hmm. um, and things that I want to accomplish. Um, and I, I, I know that that like fear is not serving me and yet it's still like hold strong, you know, this sense yeah. of like, it's like a trust, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's needing to trust more that I'm gonna be okay, um, and that I'm if I really want to accomplish these things, you know, I'll find a way. And I need to trust that like things aren't gonna happen overnight, and that things happen you know, mm-hmm. over time. And so, yeah, just that 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 fear of like, and it's so funny because you know. I, I do write about that in my book. I, I have a whole chapter on like giving up control mm. and like how yeah. not just relieving it is, but also how um, that like it could the having control could be the very thing that's getting in the way from accomplishing, you know, the thing that, mm. that you're setting out to do yeah. and that it's, you know, it's okay to like, it's okay to like have a day of of rest or a day of not being productive. And maybe that's mm-hmm. exactly what you need to, you know, to get back on the horse. So, you know, the cycles within cycles of, of following, like letting go and being more in tune with the rhythms and circadians of, of, of your, of your life, of your body. Mm. So yeah. that you, one can, set out and do the things that you, you know, your higher order thoughts and goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I, I certainly can relate as someone who's, has a bit of an analytical mind, I guess, to say the least it, it, it often can be an impediment, right? It, it really can be. And I, I'm always trying to, as you sort of spoke to make the right decisions and, optimize for things and spend my time wisely and you know all of these little things that again are are, they generally serve me well on average but sometimes on the whole don't because there is this this illusion that it often creates uh unintentionally that we can control for everything Mm -hmm. and that we can if we if we set everything into place that that things will pan out And, and obviously life just continue i mean that is life is just getting that stamped on your forehead over and over again that that's not the case and that what you (laughs) think will happen never will and that you don't have as much control as you think but that is often what feeds the desire to control everything that you quote unquote can but you know it's as you said it's it's a bit cyclical and it it can be a bit self-defeating in and of itself and and sometimes we do just have to to let go of, of the reins a little bit and and say that you know if it that at the end of the day taking a day off or a moment off whatever it is uh isn't going to make or break you and that being a little bit more in tune with as this whole conversation has has spoken to uh, a little more in tune with our environments our our physiology our our own minds whatever it is Mm -hmm. is is often a lot more valuable than than just than just pushing and 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 segmenting things until the end of time, but yeah, it, it it definitely resonates. So I so I appreciate you sharing that, and I'll, I'll be excited to to see next time we do speak how how that's going for you. <laughs> yes, yeah, you can. That's the accountability piece right there. <laughs> right, right. That's that's always the idea. But yeah, I, I really have enjoyed this. I, I appreciate you being gracious with your time today, and. Yeah, as, as I obviously have already said, I, I look forward to to doing it again and, and unpacking a lot of things that that I now have some notes on and 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 to see how this this relationship and this conversation develops over time. Yes, uh, 
Brandon, it's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Um, uh, it's yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, continuing this conversation and, and um, speaking again. And yeah, I love what we've been able to to cover. And yeah, there's a lot there, a lot there to unpack always. So I, I appreciate you um, being able to do so and and helping guide us through it. Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I certainly enjoyed it. And, and again. Thank you, and thank you all for listening, and hopefully we will see you again soon. So if you've made it this far, hopefully it's because this project has resonated with you in some way and added value to your life. And if so, it would be great if you could take that next step to do any of the things that people are always asking you to do. Subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, share with a friend, give us a follow on social, I know it can feel like a chore, I get it, but it is all rather simple and easy, (laughs) a lot easier than listening to this whole episode. So any support really does mean a lot to me and goes a long way towards helping this show and its message grow. The simple fact that you're still listening at this point already makes this whole thing worth it for me. Anything else is just gravy. Remember, again, Please do send your questions and topics to at ImpostorsAnon on Instagram and Twitter. I welcome them all and would love to hear from you. And oh, if you could be interested in coming on this very show, shoot us a message. Seriously, there are no requirements. I'm always looking for new guests with unique perspectives. I don't care about how many followers you have or where you went to school, and I certainly don't want to read your resume. I just like having interesting, candid conversations. So why not? You're all already a part of this project in my eyes, but I'll give it a rest for today. Thanks again. Your perspective is valuable, and I'll see you next time.